This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Ed Milet Show. All right, welcome back, everybody. So here's the deal. Going into 2023, most of the messages I'm getting from all of you are, I want to get more fit. I want to understand my body. I want to lose some fat. I want to build more muscle. I want to be healthier. And so I was thinking, who is the best person on the planet that I've watched in this sector, in this space, that everybody tells me is like the no BS, fact-based dude, doesn't exaggerate, gives it to you straight. And the more and more I observed him, it's Dr. Lane Norton. And so I worked my butt off to get him here today. He was gracious enough to fly all the way out. And we're going to have an unbelievable discussion. And you, no matter how sophisticated you are, will learn some things about your body and becoming healthier and more fit that you didn't know prior to this hour. So, Dr. Lane Norton, thanks for being here, bro. Oh, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Ed. We're going right into it, man, because I, I mean that. I, so many people, even I think overall my audience is probably pretty fit. Um. But I think everybody, including myself right now, I'm like, I, I want to take it to a different level. I'd like to lose a little bit more body fat. So I want to ask you stuff all over the board. If Let's it's go. Cool with you. So diets first. I've heard you talk about this, but I want you to share this. How do you feel, number one, about intermittent fasting and feeding windows in general? Do you believe in reduced feeding windows? Do you think there's a, a benefit or any detriment to doing that? I just want to get that part on the table first. Yeah, so about 10 years ago, this kind of got pretty popular, mm -hmm. and now you have all different forms of intermittent fasting, whether it's 16-8, 24, mm -hmm. you know, one meal a day, yeah. alternate day fasting, 5-2. I mean, there's all different forms, and they've all been studied, and there's mm -hmm. all sorts of research studies, and, you know, I, I kind of always default to what do the meta-analyses say, which mm -hmm. meta-analyses are basically um, studies of studies. Of studies. So yeah. they try to take studies with commonalities between them that fit the inclusion criteria and then say, can we come to a consensus with what the research data says? So what you tend to see is if it's just, if the inclusion criteria is pretty loose, the fasting diets do a little bit better with weight loss. But when the inclusion criteria includes equating calories on a weekly basis. So for example, if you're alternate day fasting, obviously one day you're eating way less calories, mm -hmm. but another day you're eating much more calories. Yeah. So if you compare that to like a continuous calorie restriction where you're getting the same amount of calories each day, but at the end of the week, the amount of calories you're taking in is the same, you just don't see differences in fat loss. Does that mean calorie is king? I mean, for in the general? most part, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people don't really like that idea. A lot of people don't really like that idea. It's like we've tried to hack our way around yeah. this idea. It's kind of like, oh, if we just hack our way around the idea that, you know, you need to spend less money than you earn if you want to save money, you know? Right. And at the end of the day, like, you can't really get around it. Yep. So now, that being said, fasting can absolutely be useful for certain people because some people, when they do intermittent fasting, um, they don't feel hungry during that fasting window. Mm -hmm. And then just by reducing their feeding window, they're able to eat less calories. Yeah. So I think the point is, it's not that it can't be a useful tool. It absolutely can be a useful mm -hmm. tool, but it's not better 
in terms physiologically from another calorie equated diet. And I think the one thing people got to be careful of is sometimes on these fasting diets, it can be difficult to get enough protein in mm-hmm. because you're shortening that feeding window so much. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I tell people to kind of be Especially mindful like of. after you work out, right? Like I've always yeah. eaten protein. I don't know if I'm supposed to, maybe this is one of these myths, but I've always given myself protein after I've worked out. I don't know if that, that matters, but I have myself, because I do now intermittent fast for the most part. And one of the things that I feel is I do feel a little weaker after and before I train. I don't know if that's the lack of carbs, the lack of protein. There's a few different studies looking at this. Um, Grant Tinsley, uh, Professor Grant Tinsley has done some great work on this. Um, so they've done a couple of studies using the 16-8 fasting yeah. uh, with resistance training. And uh, they saw that at least over a 12-week period, there wasn't a difference in uh, body composition between that and continuous calorie restriction with more meals throughout the day. Now, the one caveat to that is they were having people eat three meals during that eight-hour feeding window, so Mm -hmm. kind of every four hours, and they were having the people train within that feeding window. So Train when they're eating, not train when they weren't eating. Correct. Now, some people, again, this is where if we look at the... The research, the research will tell us you're probably better off training within that feeding window. Mm-hmm. However, some people don't like the way they feel mm-hmm. when they're training on a full stomach. So I kind of default to, you know, the research can guide us, but if you as an individual feel better a certain way, I think that's fine. And I think the other thing to, to keep in mind is that, you know, like 10 years ago, I, my criticisms of intermittent fasting were, I, well, I think it's fine for fat loss, but as someone who, like I did my PhD specifically in protein metabolism, we know you can't really store protein. Mm-hmm. Like you can store fat, obviously, mm-hmm. in adipose. You can store carbohydrates somewhat as glycogen. Protein doesn't really have a storage form. Now, some people will say, well, your, your muscle, yeah. your muscle tissue is storage form. Yeah. Well, that's like saying a house is a storage facility for wood. Okay. Like, yeah, you could get wood out of a wood house, but that's not why you build the house, right? Okay. It's not a storage facility. So that being said, there's also a cap to like how much protein synthesis or muscle building you can get out of a certain amount of protein. So like if you eat 50 grams of protein versus 100 grams of protein in the meal, 100 grams isn't going to give you more muscle building. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, there's a cap, cap you hit somewhere around 25 to 50 grams, depending on your lean body mass and the source of protein. What happens? You just can't process that much at one time? It's, it's not so much that. You just capped out okay. kind of the synthetic capacity okay. of like initiating that muscle protein this synthesis really response. Okay. So that being said, one of my things was like, okay, well, if we're fasting for, you know, 16, 20 or whatever hours, mm-hmm. um, my concern is, all right, well, you're not getting that protein synthetic response. Can you get it in the window? And now in the window, you're capped. Mm-hmm. So is that going to cause a problem? I've kind of walked that back a little bit, at least with the studies on the 16-8 fasting mm-hmm. and, you know, getting three meals. Mm-hmm. It appears that that is sufficient mm-hmm. to still get those benefits. Now, I will say it's important to have some caveats. And the the first one is, you know, these studies are only 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. And looking at differences in muscle mass, mm-hmm. muscle doesn't build quickly and it doesn't tear down quickly, yeah, at least in people window. who are continuing to resistance train. Mm-hmm. And so is it possible there could be differences over like a one-year period? It's possible, but we haven't seen them yet. Mm-hmm. And the other one is like if you're it all depends on like what's most important to you, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're somebody who's just looking to get in shape, mm-hmm. don't worry about eating four or five meals a day. Like if intermittent fasting helps you, great. Yeah. Like you can still build muscle, mm-hmm. you know, doing it. Don't you think some people do it also, not to interrupt you, but some people do it. By the way, as a layman, my concern about 
intermittent fasting for me, and I do it, was not being able to get enough protein in the window. Mm -hmm. And to your point, if you can only process 25 or so at a certain given period of time, you got to eat a lot of protein in a certain duration of time staged somehow the right way. I did worry about that. But the other reason I do it, and I know that I know we're talking about fat loss and, and muscle building in particular, but many people do claim that they feel lighter, more energy, um, the, 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 the feeling of not yeah. eating throughout a day and processing food and digestion seems to have some benefit. So that's a separate area. But would you agree that there may be some benefit to that or is there no studies that validate that even? We haven't really seen that yet. Mm-hmm. But again, that. If you feel that way, right. let's say let's say it's placebo. You right. know, people get people get really bent out of shape when you bring up placebo. I think placebo is great, if it but were. placebo, right, uh, like is an actual effect. Yep. So people miss this. Mm-hmm. So placebo, for those who aren't familiar, it's the power of suggestion. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so people think that if I say something might be a placebo effect, mm-hmm. that what I'm saying is that their brain is lying to them and they don't actually have that feeling. No, placebo actually has drug-like effects. So there was actually a study done where they uh, told people they were giving them anabolic steroids and they didn't. And that group that was told they got anabolic steroids got stronger and built more muscle than the group, the other group that wasn't getting anabolic steroids. Either, Come either. on, are you serious? Dead serious. Wow. Dead serious. So, wow. you know, the power of belief is pretty powerful. And I'll give you another example. Wow. Um, there was a study done where they were, there was multiple aspects to the study, but one of the things they were looking at was a, a hormone called ghrelin, yeah. which is a hunger hormone. Mm-hmm. And they were assessing people's genetics. And so whether they were high secretors of ghrelin or low secretors of ghrelin. And then they looked at um, what happened. So they kind of had four groups. Mm -hmm. So they looked at these people's genetics, but then they randomly told them what they were. So you had people who were low secretors of ghrelin told they were low. Low secretors of ghrelin told they were high. High secretors of ghrelin told they were low. And high secretors of ghrelin told they were high. And what they found was it didn't matter what their genetics were. It mattered what they told them. What they told them. You know what's funny when you say that? I used to say I got rich based on placebo. I, I got rich on it. I believed I was rich. I believed I was wealthy. And the placebo effect caused me to act in accordance with that belief system. And it produced results. Now, I don't know if that was chemical or not, but certainly there's a huge benefit. People think, ah, placebo, you're stupid. You believe something that's not really happening. Your point is that there's data. Now, let me just make very clear about one thing. One of the things I do love about you is you'll call out what you think is BS on there. So intermittent fasting aside, what you're telling me, I think, is that if I just eat liver, (laughs) (laughs) if I just eat liver all day long, that I'm not going to just get sexy and jacked because as it turns out, perhaps... That dude's got caught with his pants down recently. So not just eating liver all day long, whether it was a fasting window or an intermittent fasting, it's not going to produce what I want. Is that what you're unfortunately telling me? Yeah, I mean, again, uh, I I think people will hear what I say sometimes mm-hmm. and take it a little bit too far, which is if I say something like, um, you know, liver doesn't have any, you know, mm-hmm. magical benefits outside of the protein and vitamins mm-hmm. you're getting out of it. Mm-hmm. So you could just take a protein shake and vitamins if you wanted. Mm-hmm. People say, well, Lane's saying, well, how can you say that liver's bad for you? Well, I didn't say it was bad for you. I just said that it's, you know, not magic. Mm -hmm. Same thing for intermittent fasting. If If you are listening and you like intermittent fasting, or maybe you even haven't even tried it, maybe you should try it. Maybe it will help you, you know, reduce your calorie intake. I, I've known plenty of people who have said, you know, all I did was limit my feeding window and I lost 50 pounds doing that. Yeah. Like, that's a completely reasonable reason to do it. Mm-hmm. But I think we got to be careful. People tend to, when they find something that worked for them, 
whatever tripped that algorithm for compliance in yep. their mind that it's not just good enough to say, well, this worked for me. It just it just made adherence easier. Yeah. This it's, is the way. Correct. Yeah, for correct. everyone. And, yeah. you know, the, the fact is everybody's put together differently in terms of their psychology and sociology and those mm -hmm. sorts of things. So if intermittent fasting works for you and you like it, fits your lifestyle, fantastic. The one thing that we know about diets is the most important aspect of diet is what can you actually be consistent Adhere with? Adhere to it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's the great, yep. people want to poo-poo it because yep. it doesn't sound sexy, Yep. but it's like, I mean, I, I like to use financial examples. It's like saving money. People want to do all these hacks and stuff. Yep. And it's like, dude, just, you're yep. not even being consistent. Yep. Just be consistent. Be so about that, this is so good, by the way. This is exactly what I hope we would do today because I do like your ability to just, I told you before we went live, I said, look, you're the smartest dude in the room, every room you're in, and you never have the need to sound like it. I think that's a huge compliment. The other thing is you take very complicated things and you make them simple and easy to understand. A couple of things you said, I just want to give you references to. I did try to work out during my feeding window and I kept vomiting. Mm. So for me, I think you're right. A lot of people don't respond well when they have to eat in a short window and train. That's just for me. Sure. Didn't didn't work for me. Having said that, when I'm not in my feeding window and I train, I feel slightly weaker. Mm -hmm. I'm staying with intermittent fasting because I do overall feel more energetic when I do it. Now I want to talk about the different types of, you know, really vogue diets. And by the way, what I do like about you is you talk about the benefits and the potential negatives of these different things. I'm 51. I've been training for a long time. I've stayed in reasonably good shape most of the time, and I've been in tremendous shape maybe 25, 20% of the time. I think you know what I mean, right? And the tremendous shape, me, I did different ways. Yeah. A couple times it was super high protein, super ridiculous carb restriction, and I watched my fat intake as well. And then I've also gone the other way where I've eaten more like a keto diet, and I've had a lot more fat in my diet. And I got pretty fit then. And I'm like, so which one of these actually works? And so is there meta-analyses on, for example, before we get to keto, because that's what everyone wants me to ask you about in addition to intermittent fasting. But before we go to keto, is there any data that stipulates, hey, super high protein, low carb, or super high fat, one of the other has some massive benefit over the other one or not? So when it comes to body composition, Protein is definitely important. Um, there's a few different benefits to protein. First one is of the macronutrients, it's the most satiating. Mm -hmm. So satiation tends to be kind of food dependent, like individual food dependent. Like you can't just say, well, carbs aren't satiating. Well, on a satiation scale, a plain baked white potato is actually one of the most satiating foods in the world. Is it? Right. But- Can I ask like, something about that? Yeah, say sure. on that just for a second. Do some people have a proclivity where they don't get carb- full meaning maybe i'm nuts but if you put a plate of pasta in front of me i could eat nine plates of it and i don't feel full when i'm eating it and i've heard this thing over there well some people process carbohydrates in their brain differently so i don't want to take you off track but for me yeah. and i think there's some people out there that feel this way too is there any data that supports that that's true or are all human bodies sort of similar when they eat carbs there's not really any data to support that but what i will say is when you're eating that much pasta, it's probably not just pasta. There's probably quite a bit of oil on it, right? Yeah. So yeah. typically, and I don't want to just generalize, but typically foods that are really hyper palatable aren't just carbohydrate and they aren't just fat. They tend to be both together. So if you take a plain white baked potato with no butter on it, yeah. and try to get you're through right. it. You you're know, right. It's gonna be, you're going to be pretty satiated after one. You're right. But if you put some butter and salt on it, 
you know, much more palatable now. Okay. So, and okay. then you add in like, you know, ultra processed foods, which are made to be very palatable, great mouthfeel, texture. Yes. Now you just don't get that same satiety benefit. Got right? it. Okay. I took you off there, but I know that a lot of people feel that way. And I definitely wanted to know from me. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it's more about, it's more about like the overall milieu, the texture, the feel, like everything matters. Okay. I mean, satiety, even right down to like, not to go further off track, but even the, like the color of the plate. Yeah. So depending, and I can't remember the exact study, but they just changed the color of the plate and they found it actually impacted how much food people ate. No way. So yeah. it's, it's appetite is very complicated and there's not just inputs from physiology. There's also um, the social aspect because yeah. think about the last time you went to an event that didn't have food, yeah. right? And then think about the psychological aspect. So there's all that stuff that plays in. So Meaning that food is not just fuel. fuel, food becomes social, becomes these other things in absolutely. addition to what it was really probably designed to be, which is to fuel our bodies. Absolutely. Gotcha. And, and um, one of the things I tell people is, um, you know, think about how hard it is for people with eating disorders, right? Like if you're, mm -hmm. if you're a drug addict, you can abstain from drugs. Mm -hmm. You still, Imagine telling somebody, well, you know what, you can only have alcohol three times. You can, you're going to have to, you have to have it a couple times a day or something yeah. like that. Like. That's that makes that's why eating disorders is one of the most difficult things to recover. I have never thought about it that way. When you're a drug addict, you can just get a void from the drug. People doesn't say just take a little bit of coke, right? Just, just have a little bit of meth. Yeah. But when food is your issue, you do have to have a little bit of it, which is very difficult to regulate the consumption amount. Wow, yeah. that's good. Okay. So getting back to protein, protein's very satiating, so that's that's a benefit. It also tends to have a higher thermic effect of food. Now, thermic effect of food is basically in order to get energy out of the food you eat, your body has to put energy in, right? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a, a car. Like your, mm -hmm. your car just doesn't spontaneously start up because you've got gas in the tank, yeah. right? You have to use your battery and put energy into it to get energy out of it, okay. right? Um, same thing for food. Now, fats are like a TEF of zero to 3%, which means that if you eat fat, the net is going to be about 90, or like 100 calories of fat. The net is about 97 to 100 calories. Yeah. Carbohydrates, about 5 to 10%. So if you eat 100 calories of carbohydrate, your net's about 90 to 95 calories. Protein is about 20 to 30% TEF. So if you eat 100 calories of protein, your net is about 70 to 80 calories. Mm. So again, that's mm. another little benefit in mm. the corner of protein. So when we look at studies that compare different diets, Diets higher in protein tend to have an advantage. Mm -hmm. And when I say high protein, typically the demarcation is around 1.6 grams per kilogram of lean body mass. Mm -hmm. Okay. Diets high in protein tend to improve fat loss and lean mass retention relative to diets lower in protein. Mm -hmm. Now, that's beneficial because if you can maintain more lean mass, you also maintain more a better metabolic rate. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, I mean, most people want to retain their lean mass. The other thing is when you look at like ketogenic diets, non-ketogenic diets, mm -hmm. there was a great meta-analysis mm -hmm. of this uh, done by a researcher named Kevin Hall back in 2017, I want to say. And so the inclusion criteria was actually really great. So the inclusion criteria was they had to be equal in calories and protein, but vary the carbohydrate and fat amount. And either the subjects had to be housed in a metabolic ward, which is basically food jail, yeah. right? So they're measuring literally everything these people take in, or the food had to be provided for the subjects if they were free living. Okay. So this really makes sure yeah. that adherence is going to be pretty tight yeah. because in free living studies where they just like give guidance to people to eat stuff, yeah. adherence is terrible. Okay. And so in this study, they found that basically there was virtually no difference in fat loss as the summation of these no studies. Way. 
And actually, the low-fat diets tended to have just a really small advantage. It was like a, an advantage of like 16 grams more fat lost per day, which is, yeah. to me, not a not really a... Not a discernible difference. Yeah, it's yeah. not a discernible difference. And certainly not, like if somebody likes a low-carb diet and yeah. it's easier for them it's to do it. It's not a reason to, not to do it. It's not a reason not to do it, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So again, people will hear that and people who are low-carb advocates will get really upset. Mm. And I'll say, well, listen, you, you have to think about it the other way. It's just as viable an option as anything else, right? right? Now, I think this is where some of the confusion comes in. People will say, but on a, on a low-carb diet, you burn so much more fat. Uh-huh. You do. But here's where people get crossed up. Fat oxidation is what we call a mechanism. So it's a, it's a biochemical mechanism. But a mechanism is not the same thing as an outcome. Okay? So the outcome that we care about is the loss of body fat, right? Mm-hmm. Fat burning and the loss of body fat are actually not the same things. How so? So the loss of body fat is actually the balance between the amount of fat you store versus the amount of fat you burn. So there's two sides to this equation, right? Mm-hmm. Just like if you look at uh, muscle protein building, it's the balance between synthesis and degradation, mm-hmm. right? It's not just synthesis. Mm-hmm. So same thing for, for fat. So you have fat. Fat is always being stored wow. and burned at the same time, wow. right? It is the relative rates of each that's going to determine wow. uh, how much net you deposit or lose. Yeah. So in the, let's take two extreme diets, low-carb, high-fat, and high fat or sorry and uh high carb low fat yeah right on a low carb diet because you're eating a lot of fat and your insulin's low you will burn a lot of fat but you're also storing a lot of fat because there have been studies to look at okay of the fat we store how much comes from carbohydrate Mm -hmm. versus how much comes from fat and they've done labeling studies basically where they can trace Mm -hmm. where these these nutrients are going Less than 2% of the fat that is stored in adipose originates as carbohydrate. So if you're on a high-fat, low-carb diet, you're burning a lot of fat, but you're also storing a lot of fat. If you're on a low-fat, high-carb diet, you're not burning much fat, but you're, but you're also fat. not storing much Damn. fat because there's well. not much fat. So guess what actually ends up determining the amount you gain or lose? Well, it's your it's calories, your calories, calories, right? So the is energy it, balance. Is it fair to say overall, as a general statement, I know you don't like these things, calories are really important. Calories are really important. I mean, okay. it's basically what we call the you know energy balance, which yep. is... You know, how much you burn on a total day versus how much you've taken in. I have to tell you, Elaine, the, the, the statistic that you just quoted, one of the more fascinating things I had never heard before about fat storage versus fat storing, uh, uh, fat burning, rather. Yeah. That, that is something that I think 99.9% of people right now are like, no way. I have, even I'm watching our producer in the back and she's like, whoa. <laughs> so I want to ask you about fat burning. Mm-hmm. A little bit, and that revolves around not diet, but cardio. Okay. Okay. Does cardio work? And I know it's a general statement. And is there such a thing as cardio adaptation? Meaning, I, I don't know if it's a myth or not, but people have told me the longer that you do cardio, that your body begins to adapt to the cardiovascular work, and you are not having the same metabolic benefits that you would have when you first do it. Or is there no benefit to it at all, or a tremendous benefit? I'm talking about not from the heart benefits of pumping your heart. I think obviously there might be some benefits to that, but is there benefit overall when it comes to body fat percentage, uh, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So if we, if we're just talking about aerobic exercise, um, yes, there is a benefit. So in, in studies where we look at, uh, if they 
basically control what people eat mm-hmm. and just add aerobic exercise, they tend to lose fat. Okay. Um, which is great. Now, is that because you're burning more calories, the yes, calorie deficit yes, part yes, comes into play. Yeah. Okay. So you're you're expending more energy now. There is some evidence that you do adapt to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, um, you just, if you've never, for example, run before, mm-hmm. your gait and your running form is going to be pretty terrible. Yeah. And as you get better at it, as you become more skilled, the physical work required actually goes down. Oh, my gosh. Because you're becoming more skilled at it. Okay. Um, Does that but, mean that you should then do more things that are more difficult for you physically when you're doing cardio? Some people have proposed that. There's no studies directly examining that. Okay. You would it's, think that that might be true based on what you said. It's possible, but I've also, I've also so many times I've said, you know, this, w- this should work, and then they test it and nothing ever happens, and okay. I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Okay. I think one thing to point out is there are some people who have said, well, you know, because of this adaptation or whatever, you know, cardio is a waste of time. It's certainly not a waste of time for the health benefits. Just, mm-hmm. you know, exercise is one of the only things you can do that without losing any weight, your mm-hmm. metabolic profile will improve. And your right? mental profile will improve. Oh, it's improve. one of the best things you can do for right. depression yeah. and, and those sort of things. Yeah. But there was a, there was a study done by uh, a guy named Herman Ponser, who um, he's really well known for studying hunter-gatherer tribes. Yeah. There's a few tribes left that actually still kind of basically mm-hmm. live like our ancestors. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting is some of the research he found, he expected when he went in to examine these tribes that their total daily energy expenditure would be much greater than us, people mm-hmm. living now. And what they found was they weren't that much different than us. <laughs> um, but, and, and, and the kind of explanation of this is what's called the, um, the model of energy balance where you have what's called constrained energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. So the idea is if you increase your exercise, you actually become spontaneously less active the rest of the day in terms of what's called NEAT. Now, NEAT is really something really cool. It's called non-exercise activity thermogenesis. And basically, it's like small unintentional movements you do throughout the day. So mm-hmm. like fidgeting, pacing, mm-hmm. uh, pastoral stuff, that sort of thing. It actually contributes a significant amount of calories to your daily energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when we look at people who are like obese prone versus obese resistant, we don't really see differences in metabolic rate, but what they do tend to see is people who tend to be obese resistant, meaning if you overfeed them, they don't tend to gain as much body fat as you would expect. Yeah. When you overfeed them, they tend to spontaneously increase their activity without even realizing it. They fidget more. They pace more. Interesting. They, they just don't even realize they're doing it. Mm. And so that's it's important to make these distinctions Very because good. NEAT isn't really modifiable. Yeah. So people will say, well, I'm going to go out for a walk to get my NEAT up. Well, that's purposeful exercise, right? Okay. So it's really interesting how this works. Now, one of the things Herman showed was that if you increase like um, – your exercise by yeah. say 100 calories per yeah. day or what should be 100 calories per day you end up only getting about 72 of those calories um because there's some kind of adaptation where okay. it reduces the output by 28 calories per day now uh, this is just kind of regression analysis of things yeah. i'm being kind of pedantic with numbers yeah. here the important thing to understand is when you do exercise you probably end up burning less calories than you intend to so when you look at the treadmill and it says you burned 500 yeah you probably didn't that was my next question but you still burn some yep and it is going to help you with weight loss or fat loss and it's good for your metabolic health. Why so do you I, see so many people at a gym then, Lane? Let's just be real. Mm-hmm. You know this. By the way, one of the other reasons I had you on is you embody the body 
that somebody would want based on the things that you proclaim. In other words, you look like I think you should look. I'm always very skeptical to take business advice from someone who hasn't built a big business. Right. Financial advice from someone who's not wealthy. Fitness advice from someone who's not fit. Right. Right. That's one of the things that I admire about you. Why is it that I see so many people, I know it's a general statement, but that have been at my gym, bless their heart, for five, six, seven years. I see them crushing their Stairmaster. I see them working out. They look exactly the same as when I first met them five years ago. Is that adaptation? Is is it, and I know it's a general question, but I know a lot of people listening is like, actually, yeah. you're describing me. And yeah. by the way, even for me, I got to a point, whatever that point was, probably you have too, where I kind of look like I've looked for a while. In yeah. other words, I stopped progressing. I'm not much bigger. Yeah. I'm not much leaner. I'm not much stronger. In fact, I thought about it the other day. I've been bent. There was a point in my life where I continued to increase my bench. Mm-hmm. I've been benching the same damn amount of yeah. weight for about 10 years, give or take like 20 pounds. Yeah. What the heck is that? Is that a mental thing where we're just not pushing past the barriers we did before? Is that adaptation? What? Well, it's like it's kind of like with anything. Um, if you're at a plateau, your body's become gotten into homeostasis. You have to invoke, you know, some kind of new stimulus. And when it comes to resistance training, we call it progressive overload, right? Now, at a certain point, when you get to a certain level, it becomes difficult to, you know, add much more without actually, like, getting injured. I've done you know, that a that, lot, that's, too. That, that can be, that can be yeah. the big killer of progress mm-hmm. as well. Um, so, like, for me, I've always, you know, competed drug-free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, if you look at me, you know, compared to 10 years ago, I pretty much look the same. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. I've, I've gotten stronger in parts, but mm-hmm. a lot of that, you can get stronger without getting more muscle. There's a lot of sure. neurological adaptations that can happen. But when I was really pushing, and I, you know, I set a, a drug-free IPF world squat record back in 2015, which was 668 pounds oh in the 205-pound class. Oh my God. And um, three times your body weight. Yeah, yeah, over. And um, to get to that level, I mean, you know, I was when I before I started kind of pursuing that goal, I'd gotten up to like a six hundred pound ish squat. You know, squatting a couple times a week, going really hard. So for me to get from there to the next level, mm-hmm. by the time I hit that world record, I was squatting like four times a week. Mm-hmm. I was doing like over twenty to twenty five really hard sets of squats per week. Um, you know, the lightest weight I was touching was like my lightweight was like over 500 pounds for, mm. you know, seven, eight reps, that sort of thing. Yep. And I was conservative maxing my squat multiple times a week where I was hitting mm. over 600 pounds. That's incredible. So, that's incredible. you know, obviously like that's invoking like a huge stimulus compared to what I was doing before when I was doing it twice a week. Yeah. But it also got to the point where that now became the new baseline yep. and to push past, past that, that could be a back or a knee or right, something. Right, and that's that what would... happened is I, you know, I injured my back and then that mm-hmm. kind of slowed down progress there and you go. Up. Okay, so you're telling me basically in my own case, it's because I'm pretty much doing what I've always done that my body is pretty much going to give me what it's always given me in yeah. order to take it. It's funny, this morning I woke up, my left shoulder popped out of the socket. <laughs> you know what I mean? I did shoulders pretty heavy on Tuesday. And it just popped out, which it pops out now. And I'm like, yeah, the idea that I'm going to go just destroy and crush my shoulders again is probably not realistic injury-wise yeah. at this point as well. You mentioned drugs. Yeah. So let's do that for a minute. I was joking about the Liver King guy the other day, yeah, but it yeah. came out that he's on testosterone. And, or I shouldn't In the least that. shocking news of right. 2022. Right. I mean, the first time I looked at him, I'm like, great. And by the way, you still got to train your ass off and you still look great and maybe just say it. Like I've said on the show... I take testosterone. I've been right. taking testosterone. I don't recommend it. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I've been taking testosterone for a decade. And mm. um, 
you know, for me to stop right now might be pretty dangerous because I don't make any anymore, I don't think. Right. Um, but I'm curious as to your overall uh, advice, and I know this isn't your main domain, but to someone who's at a certain point, maybe it's a woman hitting menopause, maybe it's a dude who's like, I got my lab studied and my testosterone's 300 and I'd like it to be around yeah. 700. Do you think that there are more benefits potentially to doing it then and by the way are you telling me sitting looking at you right now if you don't mind me asking you're not on any exogenous stuff nope. right now no nope. yeah. in fact my testosterone's actually always been pretty high um uh, so you people, look incredible thank you yeah. um i mean and obviously like genetics comes into play mm -hmm. with that but also i tell people you know i was i was very lucky that like i was i've been consistent with training since i was 17 years mm -hmm. old like the longest i've ever taken off was right after I, I did uh ipf world championships a month ago and i took eight days off afterwards and uh, that's the longest i've taken off in seven or in 23 years and that's impressive, uh, bro. you know and i also didn't beat myself up with drugs and alcohol when i was younger mm -hmm. like as a college student mm -hmm. I didn't really drink that much. I was very focused on my studies, you know, so I, I think all that plays into it. And obviously mm -hmm. having a little bit of genetics probably to my advantage as mm -hmm. well. So whenever I've had my testosterone checked, I've always been between 800 to 1100. What if it, what if you get tested seven years from now and it's 240? I mean, then it would be something I might consider. And so okay. to your, to your point, um, I think the, the first question is, you know, if your testosterone is low, are you feeling effects from that? Like, do you have low libido? Mm -hmm. um, are you low energy? You know, those sorts of things. And is it because it's just age or are you living a lifestyle that's causing your testosterone to be low where you're sleeping four or five hours a night and you have high stress mm -hmm. and you have, uh, you don't eat, con you, you know, well consistently mm -hmm. because we know if you have too high body fat, that will drop testosterone. Mm -hmm. Ironically, if you have too low body fat, it'll also drop testosterone. Uh, yeah. So like, uh, for example, like with natural bodybuilders. Mm -hmm. So there's been some case studies on natural bodybuilders like myself. And so even with my testosterone being that high, I was talking to this about this with a friend last night when i got to stage lean my testosterone was hypogonadal because just to get that lean as a drug-free athlete yeah. it just tanks your testosterone but normally you're running around at a thousand naturally 800 to, to there Jeez, yeah Louise. so what i always tell people because you know now that i'm i'm 40 they'll say why well, are you gonna get on trt i'm like well yeah. why would I? I don't need to you, you don't know? have to like right. I, I feel good and yeah. i waited too i was down around 350 or 400 yeah and by the way you're making me wonder was there other things i was doing that Somehow dropped it, but I did notice belly fat accumulation, a little mm -hmm. bit lack of libido, more fatigue. Yeah. I did notice those things. So in general, as a piece of advice, you would say, don't do it if you don't need it. Yeah, and I would say look at lifestyle interventions first, right? Okay. Um, but if you're doing those things and you're still low, um, certainly getting yourself back in the normal range can help you feel better. Now, I would say absolutely do it. And I am not an expert on this, but mm -hmm. I would say, you know, the right way to do it is doing it under a doctor's supervision, sure. making sure you're being monitored, and make sure you are monitoring your like LDL cholesterol and your insulin sensitivity. Because, and your HDL, right? Because yeah. testosterone in men, I believe, can suppress, I shouldn't say in men, I, I know I'm a man and I know what it did to me, but your good cholesterol, or what they say is your good cholesterol, there's a big particle, little particle stuff right, they right. do now, but in general, exogenous testosterone can actually negatively impact HDL. Yes, that's yeah. correct. Yeah. And And can raise LDL as mm -hmm. well, I believe. So mm -hmm. just make sure you're having your blood work monitored and, mm -hmm. and you're keeping those things in control. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you're clinically low, bringing it back into a normal range can certainly help. Okay, let's talk training.
By the way, this is so freaking good. I feel like this is a master class, no matter where you're at fitness-wise. Which, by the way, in a minute, we're going to talk to people that aren't doing anything physical and need to get something going. So stick around for that. But for those people that are training to some extent. So I'm uh, old school. So Monday's chest day. And, you know, I do, you know, I don't know, five sets of flat bench. Then I do decline five sets. Then I do incline. Then I do some flies or pec deck or whatever. And then... You know, Tuesdays or whatever, their legs and shoulders or back and shoulders. You know what I mean? Sure. But I'm always doing like four or five sets of a body part. Typically for me, it's like 12, 10, 8, 8, 8 or a six set in there, you know, with, with, with the reps. I mean, then I've been reading lately people saying, no, 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 no. Once you stimulate the muscle and cut the fiber up, you can move on to the next muscle that you're that you don't need to be training so many sets on particular body parts in order for you to break the muscle down and grow it again. So this is something like, this was my main thing I was dying to ask you and I didn't ask you it off camera because I would certainly love the excuse to do like three curls and stop and I just did my biceps. But is there any validity to that? Because I've seen some very fit people say, this is what I do. I do, you know, I do five sets on one body part and I'm done. I've affected the muscle group and I move on to the next one. Any data, any thoughts about that? Yeah, so actually in the last 10 years, we've really had some good data come out in resistance training. I'm going to give a shout out to a guy who's done some really good work on this named James Krieger. Mm -hmm. I'm going to reference a lot of his work here because he's kind of put together a lot of meta-regressions and meta-analyses on these data. Um, so there does seem to be a per-session cap for anabolism per muscle group, and there's two ways to look at it. If you're Resting more than three minutes per set, that cap seems to be about around six to 10 sets. If you're resting less than like 90 seconds between sets, the cap is more like 10 to 15 sets. So on That's a, weird. On so, a, the, so the less rest, the more you can do to get a benefit? Or the way to look at it is the less rest, the more you need to do to maximize. Okay. So Good. what it seems to suggest is by resting a little bit more between sets, you yeah. can put more into the set, maybe use more weight, you yeah. stimulate more. So I think most people fall in, in that bucket, you know, mm. like unless you're somebody who just loves like to have a crazy pump. But keep in mind... By doing so many sets so close together, you're kind of negatively impacting your performance on subsequent sets, which is probably why you need more. Because you're right? weaker? Yeah, yep. something like that. Yep. Recovery or whatever. Yeah. So for let's just stick with people who are doing yep. kind of like resting more than two or three minutes between sets. Yep. So about six to ten sets mm -hmm. um, seems to cap out uh, muscle protein synthesis and muscle building. Yep. So in that case, yeah, it doesn't really make sense to keep going beyond that. Mm -hmm. And there is some... There's frequency studies as well. They're kind of messy, um, but this, it does seem to suggest that hitting a body part multiple times a week is probably better than a single time. You're kidding me. And probably because of that cap, right? And we do know that the like protein synthetic response to exercise is about 24 to 72 hours. So after you've gone through that, um, you know, increase in you know syn synthesis of new tissue and it's come back down to baseline... There's probably no reason you shouldn't stimulate it again. No kidding. So that's yeah. totally news to me. Yeah. So never done it in my life. Yeah. Once so once a week. And, and and certainly, like people will, you know, you hear people say, "Well, look, this guy built a bunch of muscle, you know, only training once per week." And obviously, you have. Mm -hmm. And what I'll tell people is like, "Well, we have to understand the difference between something that works versus something that's optimal." Right. right? It could have been better. So, and if yeah. somebody says, "Hey, all I have time for, and I like sure. training this way, and it's how I'm consistent." 
then, then great, do that. Yeah, but yeah. just understand that maybe you're not building quite as much muscle as you could if you were doing multiple times. So I mean, overall advice is, advice, but the data suggests a little bit longer break up to three minutes in between sets that you've um, maxed out, so to speak, the benefits after how many? Six sets? Six to ten? Six to ten, somewhere around that. And okay. now this... And this go hit them again in 72 hours, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah. And this is what... Now some people will say, well, if I hit legs, I'm just... I'm so sore, you yeah. know, for the next hundred days. You're sore because you're only training once a week. Yeah. If you start training multiple times a week, what will happen is you'll find that you don't get sore as much. Mm. Um, and that's called a... It's a protective effect in the muscle called the repeated bout effect. Mm. Um, and the other caveat is you have to train with sufficient intensity. And that's, when I say intensity, I mean proximity to failure, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to train right to failure. So there's studies now showing that if you stop like a few reps shy of failure, mm -hmm. you get about the same muscle growth as if you go to failure. Yeah. So now most people have never trained to failure You're and don't exactly know what right. it, don't know what it feels like. Yes. So what, it's funny, I'll get people saying like, I'll say, well, you know, I did a set of squats and it was an eight RPE, which means I had mm -hmm. two reps left in the tank. Mm -hmm. They'll say, well, you're training like a wuss. And I'm like, you've never taken a set of squats to failure then. Mm -hmm. Because I know what it feels like. Like mm -hmm. I've done, I think my best set for close to 10 reps, for example, I did 530 for a set of nine once. And oh my gosh. So Stop. I know I know what it felt like to hit that for nine reps. Oh my gosh. So you're telling me if I stopped like I couldn't move. <laughs> right. I literally could not move for fifteen minutes after that. I believe. And it. you're telling me if I stopped two reps shy of that, yeah. that that was just easy. Come on. No, man. no, it's 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 still hard. It's so funny you say that. So about six years ago, was, you ever, everyone, if you've been in a gym long enough, you have three or four super awkward moments where you just you don't <laughs> forget them, whatever they are, like you fall over or you collapse doing a squat or whatever. But I'm training, I was my biggest, I don't know, I'm not that tall, so I was, you know, like 220 at the time, really mm. great body fat, and for my age, I was, you know, not, you know, I'm not going to compete, but I looked, you know, I had my stuff together, and there's this young guy in front of me, about 20 years younger than me, and he's got these huge traps, they're just massive, right. and he's doing shoulder shrugs. Must have eaten a lot of liver. Yeah, probably eats a lot of liver, <laughs> yeah, a lot of liver, and... um and I was big too at the time. So I never, you never, when you're jacked at the gym, you don't ask another dude for advice. I don't even know why this, like you just don't let your guard down like that, yeah. you know, for some reason, cause this dude looks so great just to give him, make him feel good. Frankly, is the reason I asked it. I'm like, so man, like how many reps you do per set? And this dude turned to me and he looked just disgusted cause he followed me on social. Like you're my hero. You're asking me. He's like, until I can't. Mm. And I'm like, Oh shit. Like I'm constantly going, I'm going to do six. I'm going to do eight. And at eight, I could do three more. And I didn't. No. And I'm like, it made me remember when's the last time I took this to at least near failure. Yeah. And that's why I'm not progressing. It's like, yeah. I said I was going to do eight. I did my eight. And I'm like, okay, well next time I know increase it by 10 pounds. No dumbass, do the other two. Yeah. And that's where the power of one more from my book, actually one of the genesis of it was like, no, I'll do one more. I want to get closer to failure. Yeah. So your point about that is like massively, it, it's one of the three most embarrassing moments for me in a gym, <laughs> but a great lesson nonetheless. Now, I don't know about, you know, almost 600 pounds, nine times squatting. I'm not sure <laughs> what, what planet that's all about. What about on cardio? And then I want to ask you about keto because people will kill me if we don't go Do you mind if I, I take yeah. one more yeah. thing on resistance Please. training? So a lot of people ask me about reps too. And you, you yep. mentioned how many reps do you do? Um, so the, the most recent research actually shows that with muscle building, there seems to be a lot of ways to skin a cat. So anywhere between like probably like three to 30 reps, <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter 
the rep range you choose so long as you get close enough to failure and do enough hard sets. Mm. So we, you need to have a sufficient amount of what we call like volume, which we refer to as just the number of hard sets, right? So mm. when we're talking about six to 10 sets in a session, mm. that's six to 10 hard sets that are probably within, you know, a few reps of failure, right? Now, again, you don't have to go to failure, mm. but I will say it's probably wise to train to failure at a certain point mm -hmm. so that you understand what it feels like. And so you don't become the person like me I described in the gym who's making no progress. because right. you're not going to failure, Ed. Right. Right? Ed, right. duh. So right. that's my deal. Well, I think most people, if you've never actually trained to failure, it's hard to know. Yep. So there was actually a study done in... in, in like new and intermediate lifters mm -hmm. where they had them estimate their RP, like their proximity to failure. Yeah. And they found that new lifters underestimate sure. by about five reps. Yeah. Don't you think that's why you should have a spotter? Someone that's pushing you, but also if you do get to failure, you're not going to drop something on yourself. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I don't tend to use You spotters. don't have a spotter when you're squatting 600 pounds nine times. Well, but that's because I always set the safety, so okay. the worst case scenario. Safety. And it was 530. I wish okay. it was 600. You know what? That's all the same to me, brother. You get about but, five. You know, and I've, I've had a couple times, but yeah. I just, if I've gotten down the hole, can't get out, I just dump it off my back, you okay. know? Now, on bench press, that's a little bit different. Right, that's gonna, what I'm picturing is If you're, you're going to max yeah. out in bench press, definitely get a spotter, okay. you know? Um, drop so yeah, that, like there's there's so many ways to skin a cat when it comes to building muscle. Three to 30, but get to failure as close to failure. I think a lot of you listening to this, even if you're like, look, I don't want to be a professional bodybuilder. You do want to improve your body. We opened up the show today with how do I get to my next level of fitness? One of the things you need to consider is all the dietary stuff we've discussed today, mm -hmm. some of the cardio stuff, but also... You know, the, by the way, the biggest thing for me that you said, well, there's a bunch, but one is just adherence to your program oh, yeah. nutritionally, just something you can adhere to. Um, but having said all that, best plan means nothing if you can't stick to stick it, stick to it. Right. And I think the adherence part also to training, taking your training, because I asked the question earlier, why do so many people look the same? I think we've answered it twice now, roundabout ways, which is you've got to push your body past that point in order to get the growth that you once had, because that point was lower earlier in your training career. It was sure. easier to do. You're the fact that to, you're more fit, you got to push it harder. Think about it's like a tube of toothpaste, right? So when you first buy a new tube of toothpaste, you squeeze it just a little bit and a bunch comes out, right? Now, by the end, as you're pro approaching your genetic maximum, right, that tube has squeezed out so much of that toothpaste Jeez. that to get just a little bit out, you have to put in a disproportionate amount of effort, yeah, right? Yeah. So you can usually get a little bit more out, but it takes a lot that more effort, effort, right? And so yeah. training is kind of like that. Yeah. And one of the things I'll tell people is like, listen, there's a lot of evidence-based people out there now who try to kind of like look for ways to hack their way around hard training. Mm -hmm. And I see this in entrepreneurship as well. It's like, what are some tricks that I can do? And That's I'm like, fact. the work. Yep. Like you cannot hack your way around hard work. Like yep. no matter what you're doing, yeah, periodization helps. Yes, like, you know, certain things you can do. Mm -hmm. Like the stuff we talked about, like, you know, like anabolic caps and whatnot, mm -hmm. great. But you know why... People ask me all the time, look at this bodybuilder who's jacked and like he does things all wrong. Yeah, but he trained hard for 20 years. Yeah, he lifts heavy things regularly. He trained hard for 20 yeah. years. So. I was watching something with Flex the other day. He had a guest on, an older guy, bodybuilder. I don't know who it was. And he's like, look, all this stuff about the perfect form and keep your elbow on the shoulders. At one point, you just got to lift a bunch of heavy stuff. You just got to train. You know, at some point, you got to lift heavy stuff. And it was just a good reminder for me. Because I think even as I've gotten a little bit older, I'm like, is there a... You know, when you've been going in a gym for 30 years, you're like, is there just something maybe I could be, you know? Sure. Like, no, man. Like, don't eat so many calories. Pick a nutritional program you want to stick to and train your ass off. Well, and as you know, like when it comes to business, all this kind of stuff, the stuff that works is usually not that sexy. It's really not. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 but I like that you sort of eliminate the... Uh, 
this is going to be amazing thing and it's yeah. all for everybody and that thing right now there's two of them i think that are the in vogue deals is intermittent fasting and mm-hmm. then keto right and i've heard you say hey look here's some things i really like about keto but here's the truth a why does it work and b what are the limitations or warnings that you would make about it so ketogenic diet um for a lot of people reduces their hunger so they they just don't feel as hungry on it mm-hmm. um that doesn't seem to be the case for everybody some people mm-hmm. have reported that they do still feel hungry but i think a lot of that there's a good way to do keto and a bad way to do keto, just like there's a good way to do plant-based and a bad way to do plant-based, mm-hmm. you know, um, like you've seen these like plant-based documentaries yeah, where they're eating, you know, vegan mac and cheese. Yeah. And it's like, well, this, that's, you're still eating something that's like highly processed and calorie dense, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and same thing with keto now, because you've got keto ice creams and like yeah. that sort of thing. And it's like, if you look at like some of these ice creams, they have more calories <laughs> Than the regular thing, yeah, you know, and it's right. like, okay, so we're really missing the boat here, right? Mm-hmm. The whole point of this <laughs> is so you're, you, ha- you are satisfied so that you don't overeat calories. And now mm-hmm. you're in an effort to stay in ketogenesis, mm-hmm. um, you're consuming even more calories. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, if you're eating, you know, a, an overall you know, kind of healthy diet, which mm-hmm. you're eating a lot of healthy fats, you know, focusing on omega threes, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're not just, you know, downing bacon grease and putting butter in your coffee um, a lot of there's a lot of people do on that diet man. a lot of people do they're like i can just i can do whatever i want on this right right yeah. and I, I actually do you know uh, ethan suplee you yeah. familiar with him oh, yep. so um ethan i was on his podcast and he talked mm-hmm. about you know he, ethan for those who aren't familiar lost over 300 pounds mm-hmm. and he said you know he he got stuck with keto and he thought it was like the vegetables he was eating. And it turns out, no, it was he was just dumping oil on his salads and that sort of stuff to make it more palatable. Like you know, and then that. when he started like really focusing on just being in a calorie deficit, that's what, what actually worked for him. Mm. So I think, you know, keto absolutely is a great tool for some people, mm. especially if it, you know, is very satiating for them. But what I'll always tell people is when you're on a diet, the way you're eating, the style you're eating, whatever it is, whether it's balanced, keto, low-fat, plant-based, whatever it is, intermittent fasting, ask yourself, is this something that's sustainable for my mm-hmm. lifestyle? Can I continue to do this? And for mm-hmm. some people, that answer is yes. Mm-hmm. But if the answer is no, and you're just going, well, I'm just going to do this for you know 16 weeks or until I get the weight off, mm-hmm. the research is unequivocally clear. You will put it back on. If you don't have a game plan for afterwards, you will put it back on because six out of every seven obese people will lose a significant amount of body weight in their life. The problem is almost every single one of them will put it back on, if not more. And so when we look at people who lose weight and keep it off, one there was a, a, a really good systematic review by a researcher named Marie Spreckley. And she actually interviewed people who lost significant amounts of weight and kept it off for years. And one of the things that kept coming back that I actually found was very, very useful was they said they had to develop a new identity. So like lifestyle, right? Like they made it a lifestyle. People always say make it a lifestyle. Think about like an alcoholic, right? Mm -hmm. If an alcoholic gets clean, they have to change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Like they have to, they have to become a new person because their old identity was wrapped up in the friends they had Mm -hmm. that were probably also drinkers, Mm -hmm. the places they went. And everything revolved around alcohol in their life or mm-hmm. drugs or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same thing for people who are dealing with these issues with food, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You have to develop a new identity of who you are. Mm-hmm. And it probably, and they even like a lot of these people said, yeah, I lost 
you know, several friends throughout this mm-hmm. process, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people will, like, there's actually um, some statistics that suggest, like, if you lose a significant amount of body weight, uh, there may be a higher chance of divorce, you know? Like, um, so you have to understand that if you're, if you are, and especially speaking to people who have a lot of weight that they want to lose, mm-hmm. you cannot think about this as a diet. You have to think of this as, I am going to change my life. Mm-hmm. And so what you need to think about is, what is the person that you want to become? What do you think those person, that person who you want to become, what do their daily habits look like? Mm. And then start executing on that. That's outstanding, bro. Okay, two more questions. Yeah. I'm going to work you all the way to the end. Let's do it. This has been so freaking good. Um, we've talked a lot about calories and yep. calorie deficit. In general, what does that mean? Meaning if I weigh 200 pounds right now and I want to lose weight, in general, and if this is too broad of a question, answer it however you need to. But in general, how many calories should I be taking in? in order to cause myself to lose some body fat. So this is where it gets complicated. And people, mm-hmm. I hear people say, well, calories in, calories out, you know, it doesn't account for hormones. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's way too simplistic. They're thinking of, I'm tracking my calories in and I'm tracking my calories out, be it some metric. All, there's no accurate way to track your calories out other than tracking your calories in and monitoring what happens to your body weight, mm-hmm. okay? So they're like your treadmill, this watch, none of them are accurate. In fact, mm-hmm. these watches overestimate exercise energy expenditure depending on the brand by 28 to 93%. Okay, say that again. So you're telling me my aura or my watch or whatever it is is overestimating my caloric burning by 28 to 30%. To 90%. To ninety percent. Yep. So why it, purposely to make me feel better about what I'm doing? No, or they just it's don't just, know how to calculate it's just it? not. Um, the technology just isn't there yet. Okay. You know, a lot of it's operating off of heart rate and those sorts of things. Yeah. It's just it's it's kind of a surrogate measure, right? I always wondered is this stuff accurate? Okay. Now, good what, what I will say is if like you're like for example, my I have an Apple Watch, mm-hmm. and during an, during a two hour workout for resistance training, it'll tell me I burned around a thousand to twelve hundred calories. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if I do a, a resistance training session, for example, today, and it says I burned fifteen hundred. I probably didn't burn fifteen hundred, but I probably burn more than I usually do. Got it. Right. Me, so okay. the relative precision is probably there, but mm-hmm. the accuracy is off. Okay. So energy balance, calories in and calories out, is a lot more complicated than people think. So calories outside of things, that in is people just hear that and they think exercise. No, you've got your basal metabolic rate, which mm-hmm. is basically how much energy it takes for you to just keep the lights on, like just mm-hmm. to run your organs and whatnot. And that's mm-hmm. like 50 to 60% of your daily energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your thermic effective food that we talked about. Mm-hmm. Then you've got your non-exercise activity for thermogenesis that we talked about. And then you've got whatever exercise you do. And all those things add up to your total daily energy expenditure, mm-hmm. right? So here's the, here's the rub. People will go online and they'll do a calculator for how many calories should I eat? And they'll eat those calories and they'll say, well, I didn't lose weight. Well, what do you think is more likely? That you're defying the laws of thermodynamics or that maybe that calculator wasn't accurate, right? <laughs> or, you know, the, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is as you, people think about this as a, a static model. It's not a static model. Kevin Hall has showed this. As you lose weight, your body adjusts to that by decreasing your NEAT, decreasing your BMR. Um, and so... What was a, say, a 500-calorie deficit when you start yeah. slowly becomes less and less. Because if it, if it didn't, and think about this is to protect us from starvation, if you went on a 500-calorie deficit, eventually you'd just starve to death yeah. right? if you kept going. Yeah. So it makes sense that there would be you know, some adjustment over time. And so when you say if somebody's 200 pounds, 
you know, how many calories should they have? Well, it just depends. But it, I, w I will say it's like um, people say, well, you can't really know how many calories you're expending exactly. Uh, that's true. Just like, like if you're in investments, you don't exactly know mm. how much interest you're going to get, but you can still budget. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can yeah. still come up with a budget. Right. And so that's tracking your calories, right? Okay. So if you're monitoring your body weight and you're monitoring what you're taking in, if you're not losing weight, then, I mean, regardless of whatever you think it is, you're going to have to lower your calorie intake. What's a fair window of that measurement where before you go, I'm going to have to take in less? Is it 30 great, days? Great question. Yeah. So the first thing is people weigh themselves really sporadically, and this is one of the problems is, so for example, I weigh myself today and then a week from now, it might say I gained a half a pound, but my average could have been down by a pound and a half, right? Mm -hmm. So I actually, for me and for people I coach and for people who like use our app, mm -hmm. we recommend weighing in daily. First thing in the morning after you've gone to the bathroom, right? Mm -hmm. And then taking the average of those weights and then comparing week to week averages. So I would say if you're just starting, have two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Get an average from the first week, average from the second week, mm -hmm. and then look at those. Because your average... I mean, you know this, if you weigh yourself every day, mm -hmm. I mean, you'll be up or down five, six, seven pounds, right? A lot of it's water retention too. Sure, right? sure. sure. Like short-term yeah. changes in body weight are much more dictated by fluid dynamics, mm -hmm. but long-term changes in mass are much more dictated by losses of body fat. So again, I, I recommend, you know, kind of daily weighing. And then if after two weeks, your average really hasn't changed, mm -hmm. then I would say, okay, well now it's probably time to adjust down. Okay. This has been brilliant, bro. Um, first off, thank you. I'm going to have another question after I ask you this. But, oh, thank you. But I, thank you. This is outstanding. I just like helping people, so I appreciate yeah. the platform. You are several million right now. Um, first off, before I ask you the last question, where should they go? You've got an unbelievable app. You do some coaching on this stuff as well. Just best place to send them to see you. So my website, biolane.com, okay. that has all the stuff we have. And like you mentioned, we have an app. Uh, so I help design an algorithm-based nutrition coaching app called Carbon Diet Coach, mm -hmm. um, which basically... You know, we offer through BioLane one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching, which is fantastic, but that's usually for a good person, you know, several hundred dollars a month. Mm -hmm. So we designed an app that will basically do just that, mm -hmm. where you're, you know, it looks like kind of like a MyFitnessPal on the mm -hmm. surface, where you can track your calories, but it's also, you log your body weight and it asks you what your goals are, mm -hmm. you what, how fast or, you know, you'd like to lose weight mm -hmm. or gain mass. We can do both. Mm -hmm. um, and then it will adjust them week to week as you check in to optimize how you're going good. and it's all algorithm based and it's only ten dollars a month we're good so you very know good. for people who can't afford that one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching mm -hmm. at least they can afford this and we've sure. got you know over fifty thousand users and and that's with no paid advertising right like so we we've done very well 4.8 stars in the app store good. and we pulled our users i think pulled 2500 users and 91 percent of them said they'd recommend it to a friend that's so, so good brother. it's fantastic Fantastic. So, so very un, proud to be unpaid advertising here. Go to biolane.com to get yep, all of this can, stuff from you. You can find all that stuff in our yeah. supplement line yeah. and all that jazz. You're elite. You're outstanding. You're excellent. Um, I want to have I'm you back like on. Walk myself out the door with this big head. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you, brother. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I can tell you that the audience would probably prefer you come back on once a year and update us on all this great info. So I'd be happy to do it. Yeah, I would love to do that. Last question. I am not fit. I am uh, really never trained very much. I'm heading into 2023, or it is 2023 earlier in the year. And you know what, man? I got a lot out of today's show. Could you give me some initial steps that I should be taking to? 
begin to my fitness journey forward? Maybe it's go to get coached by you. Maybe it's the app. But is there some physical thing in my diet or my workout or just beginning to take a walk? Or what would you suggest I do if I'm one of those people listening or watching? So I'm not going to say anything that has to do with giving me any kind of money. Okay. What I'm going to say is start where you are with what you've got right now. Stop overanalyzing. Stop overthinking. Start doing what you can start just doing something even if it's not the perfect thing is going to be way better than doing nothing and staying still so if that's going for a walk 30 minutes a day fantastic there's a lot of health benefits from just walking if that's going to the gym hiring a personal trainer whatever it is you can find plenty of training routines online and we talked about like the the nuances of training and whatnot but hey if you go in and do resistance training badly for three days a week it is still unequivocally better than staying home and doing nothing right so or whether it's just being in your house and doing air squats or, or mm-hmm. anything start where you are with what you've got right now mm-hmm. and you know I, i'm going to quote ethan suplee you know i'm going to speak to the people again who have a lot of weight to lose mm-hmm. i love this quote by him he said if you're in a house and the house is on fire just get out of the house you can figure out how the fire started later mm-hmm. like we can assess blame later, like what caused it but get out of the house. What you're doing isn't working, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, maybe I don't know if I should do plant-based or yeah. keto or whatever. At the end of the day, most of you have tried all different kinds of diets, mm-hmm. and they all can work. The reason they didn't work for you was because at a certain point you stopped being consistent. So focus. Start out thinking, even if it's just slowly. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can't sprint, jog. If you can't jog walk mm. if you can't walk crawl do mm. something right so, so start out yeah. with what do i think i can be consistent with right now yeah. and a lot of people like really struggle with confidence you know mm. I, I have people all the time ask me how can i get more confidence and i always tell people you got to do hard stuff mm. you got to just go do mm. i see so many people paralyzed with over analysis because we have so much access to so much information right and so to those people who are really in that bad place where they feel like they that you are not broken, you can improve, mm. but you have to start yeah. and you have to focus on consistency and you're going to stumble and you're going to fall down. You're going to have all that stuff, but it's okay. Pick yourself back up and keep going. If you're consistent and you keep working hard, you will get to where you want to go. And just remember that resilience is a superpower. Gosh, dude. I love when I make a promise in the beginning of the show that we're going to do something and then the hour goes by and we exceeded it. And we did that today. You know, the other thing I noticed just watching you today, like you really have a heart to care and to serve people. I, I love yeah, helping people. I, I yeah. tell people, you know, somebody asked me, somebody was talking about um, the whole thing with Liver King today. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, he's made a lot more money than you ever will. I said, you know what? I consider myself a much richer man mm-hmm. because I get to come on things like this mm-hmm. and, you know, like just the opportunity to help a lot of people. And I truly believe that like, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, I'll make enough money. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. um, if you solve people's problems and you help them, yeah. I, th- I think that stuff takes care of itself. I'm just grateful for the opportunity to help people. Yeah, you are. And by the way, when you're great at something, greatness eventually rises to the top and you're great at this. And so there's no doubt in my mind that that's going to happen and is happening for you. So thank you bro, for today oh. very much. Thank you. In terms of all you guys, if this is the beginning of 2023 or you're leading into it, I hope that you got a ton of information from this. If you know anybody who wants to get more fit, feel more healthy, lose some fat share this show with them any nutritional advice workout advice this was a master class for an hour with a master 
So thank you, everybody, for listening today and watching. Remind you, God bless you. Max out your life. Share the show. Go get the power of one more. Number one book in the world, my book right now. God bless you, everybody. This is The Ed Milet Show.